0: So here's the deal, Henry, uh, War Owl, Three Clicks Philip, and that mm-hmm. collective have been invited to go to the Valve headquarters for the birthday. Do you have anything to say about this?
1: <laughs> I had no idea why you didn't drop that on me at the start of the podcast. Um, <laughs> I guess the last time I was invited to the Valve headquarters was in 2011. Um, so that's the I've point. definitely dropped off since then, um, so maybe it's understandable, but uh, what are they going to be doing there? Do we have any information on that?
0: Well, the rumors are uh, some Source 2 related things. Now, that is pure speculation by Chad Sponge Virtual, the one who's basically uh, propelling a lot of this propaganda, but uh, right. that was the segue, and you're you fucking now to, you're bang on. Well,
1: it, right? we I want to know, say about what, what's it when like was- over there? When I was invited, Jason, you might remember when this happened, that they only invited source players to that little meetup years ago. So I was wondering, what were you guys thinking when you heard about that? Just a lot of sources turned up at Valve HQ and you guys weren't invited. Did you actually catch wind of that at the time?
2: Uh, I wasn't like fully, I wasn't competing at the time, so I didn't really feel personally slighted. And also remember that was, uh, that was like after the CGS days that like entirely ruined 1.6 in North America. So we really kind of only had a source scene, uh, for better or worse, generally worse.
0: (laughs) Jordan was playing. You had nothing. He was still, you know, plodding along. And there was like, that's, was it Steno? Was that the guy's name? S-T-E-N-O? yeah, mm-hmm. a couple of guys still going, but yeah, like the CGS kind of did uh, really unravel things everywhere other than Europe, right? That was that was pretty much the case. Yeah. Like CGS for the rest of the world was like, well, if you want to play Counter Strike even remotely professionally, you have to play Source and you have to play in the CGS. But
1: for Australia though, Chad, it must have been a bit of a godsend. I can't imagine there was much cash flowing around for one point six in Australia.
0: No, we had uh, Team Immunity, which was like the the big one, right? And that was run yeah. by, I think his name was Tony Truebridge, and I think now he has something to do with Steel Series. That's
2: now. a fucking name. Yeah, That's I'm a not name.
0: I'm not a massive fan of Tony. If I'm going to be completely honest with you, um, okay. so it was it was one of these guys, you know, you know, it, he did business like an American. No offense, Jason, right? He would no, he would oversell good. and under deliver, which you know turns most. 22 year old individuals off a person quite quickly but when the cgs thing happened right i missed the first year because i well i wasn't old enough and i wasn't even playing source at the time and mm-hmm. then when the next year rolled around my 1.6 team had like capitulated at that point right i think they would all decided to go to uni or, or focus on studies or work or whatever uh, so i just started playing source with like the western australian team that was there just because they needed a player and i was just like a loud mouth motherfucker who could run around and be okay at headshotting like Oh, uh,
2: CGS loved you. They, they loved that energy. Well, that's the thing, <laughs> right? Really
0: because I was such a trash talker, like they loved that whole like showman side of it as well. And they didn't need a star player. Like they already had Top Gun. They already had Huck. The Booms and Tags were already there as more like the backbone of the team. They just kind of needed someone to fill the gaps, right? And not, be, not, not cause an issue. I didn't need to take any space. So I just had to do my job. And I got picked over the other guy. And one of the reasons I got picked over the other guy was because uh, apparently I was gonna be a little bit uh, nicer on camera, which is a fucking horrible thing, you know, for that other guy to not get picked because of that. But also, like, for me, I learned very early on in the industry that, like, this is an entertainment product, right? At the end of the day. And the CGS definitely framed it that way because do you remember, Hank, we were at, when we were there in America, they had like a opening party for the second season and yep. Kim Kardashian What's was the there before. Back? No, that, w- that was the first season. That was Kim the first season,
2: was a Playboy Mansion? Yeah, yeah.
0: That that's where Red Eye was there and they were all having a great time. But this this one was uh, like Kim Kardashian was there and like some C-level Disney stars and shit. Kim Kardashian's brother or like stepbrother or whatever. I forget his name. And that, i remember that's being there as like an 18 year
1: old and you have to be 21 to drink in america no one seemed to give a shit like i was just there drinking with all those people and i remember that's when i met fatality for the first time as well yeah. and i was like so yeah. starstruck i was like whoa jonathan wendell's here holy shit He's And got then got his own motherboard line like, funny hell. story as well i went up to him and said hello and i made such a twat of myself um i went up to him and said oh man i'm such a big fan i've like, been following you since quake and painkiller like such a big fan and like he leaned in to go sorry what did he say and i lent in at the same time and we both headbutted each other like super <laughs> hard on the forehead and it was just like so awkward and so like out of pocket that n- neither of us even like commented on the situation and laughed it off it was so weird and such a strange moment that no one said anything we both just kind of walked off of a massive red mark on our head and uh, that was my first experience of I like, properly drinking and having like celebrity culture and i headbutted Fatality. So that that's how it all started for me.
2: <laughs> I, I remember I met Va- Fatality at uh, at one of the old CPLs back in the day when he's competing in Painkiller. But remember in like Quake, right. he won he won that car uh, mm-hmm. at an event, right? It was like a, a Ferrari, real, like, right? from John Romero. I always thought it was like a smaller maybe this was just something he was just like given to use else. the event it was like a Volkswagen like it was like one of those tiny cars okay, and I met him at like a CPL and that night like a bunch of the players It was right when like the third Lord of the Rings was released uh, Return of the King and Holy he took shit. all he took all the NIP or like SK players at the time to go see the movie and we got to the theater all six of them just crawled out of this tiny little fucking clown car it looked like these giant swedes like in Potty just like literally getting out of this cramped tiny little Volkswagen Beetle it was fucking hilarious
0: the weird thing with fatality was he was like the the first guy who was getting like thrown on the news and stuff for playing video games professionally yeah. right like he was he was leading the way and i don't think people remember that he had like a headset and everything the, to be fair that headset was really i thought quite bad I think the CGS actually used it. Like we didn't use we did. it. We did. We
1: were sponsored London yeah. men were sponsored by that creative headset. I mean it's creative fatality. And it was yeah. like a fifty dollar headset. And it was just about good enough to use. Like yeah. it was just about fine. That was a well,
2: he also like kind of pioneered the whole like esports player branding, right? He was like the first sure. with any yeah. kind of a real effective brand that he like was able to leverage to get like the fatality line of like gaming motherboards and gaming RAM and gaming computer hardware and i mean he made a killing off that so like fair play i don't think it was like ever considered like top of the line but in terms of just like having that branding uh, he, he made a killing off of it
1: it's it's strange he never really carried it on though like to the modern era yeah i don't think he recalled yeah. the wave of streaming or like youtube no. content or anything like that and I, I i believe that he still has some kind of partnerships with those companies but it's definitely not what it used to be it's kind no, of strange very like, dude. the og the guy that kind of started that all, was the one who didn't really catch the real
0: wave of esports well, this is, this is the thing with a lot of people, right? I was actually just talking to a mate the other day who I used to play 1.6 with back in Perth. And uh, he was like one of the in-game leaders I learned from. And he, we were just having like a quick chat. I think he was drunk. Uh, it was like a Saturday night type of Instagram chat. And um, he was like, oh yeah, you know, like a, you know, I wish it was 10 years later. But then that's the thing. Yeah. A lot of people kind of have that. And I would say for us, Maybe a similar feeling with that playing because, yeah. like, uh, we all started when we were quite young, and then we played a very long time. I obviously got only in the early days of CS:GO. Like, I retired mid twenty sixteen, right? But we all played Counter Strike since we were were very young. I saw your tweet the other day, Jason. Like, you said, was it yeah. ninety nine? You started playing.
2: Yeah, I started playing in a beta. Like, I think it was like six or something Do like that. I started playing. Story of how I started dude just a lot of assault pubs a lot of like mansion pubs i was playing when the m4 was permanently silenced and still had a scope so it, scope yeah that's when you know the
1: n4 back scope. in the day that's that's, that's the wild stuff yeah. i never saw
2: that but i heard about that <laughs> yeah that was a that was a wild time um it wasn't like a full op scope right it was like one of those like uh one, like right? a- it was like one of the ads no it wasn't even that it was like ads and so like still just like zoomed in like halfway like Valorant, like, you know in- yeah, like Valorant and like okay. COD and all that shit. When like you right click, it just like gives like a little magnifier, but like you still keep the same crosshair essentially. Um, mm. Yeah, so that was that was my beginning. A lot of fucking deagle plugs. Was it your brother uh, that
1: got you into it? I said, "Oh, I need to try this game out." We've just I like, picked it up
2: kind of it was like yeah it was it was mostly my brother it was his friend that got us into it because we played half-life a bunch and when that mod came out and blew up like one of his friends caught on to it first uh and we started like a little clan with a bunch of people from school and just like casually competed uh and then my brother somehow like one day just stumbled upon um i think it was called domain of domain of game like there was a there was a clan called Domain of Pain, but there was like a oh shit. I forget forget what the, it was like the original like got frag. It was like the original okay. HLTV, like the hub for competitive yeah. Counter Strike, and it had all like the standings and all the leagues for Cal back in the day. Um, and he stumbled upon that. It was it was the last season. Uh, of Cal when TSO beat X three, who'd gone like two or three seasons being undefeated and right before team 3d formed, it was like the season before team 3d formed that we started like looking into actually competing in the, in the real leagues it's crazy
0: you have to seek that stuff out right like that that's the thing that i think people today maybe don't appreciate as much yeah Yeah. and it's not that i look the boomer in me wants to be yeah everybody gets spoon-fed this shit these days but realistically like these these quality of life upgrades were going to happen with time and then once more and more people wanted to get involved with this of course it was going to grow and become more inclusive in that regard it's just when we did it it was much more of a niche thing and you'd play for fun sure but then if you wanted to take things more seriously you had to seek that out right like even I playing was a everything. nightmare.
1: Like even when a new patch came out, I only had, really had dial-up up until like oh, 2003, yes. 2004. When a new patch came out, it'd be like six hundred yeah. meg. That'd be like two weeks of downloading. For yeah, me. I had to get a download manager. When I was at school, I had to have like a PC like secretly switched on in my bedroom, like just downloading um, while I was at school, and it'd get like two percent each day, just up until the point where I could maybe play in two weeks. Like it really was a yeah. quite a dark time
2: i remember when like steam got released uh for the first time because we used to we used to play cs without without even steam remember that switch over and and you'd get steam and it would take like you know seven eight hours to download counter-strike so you'd start it when you went to sleep and then you wake up and your first thought is just like please nothing happened to the internet please exactly (laughs) you would go downstairs and it would be like 87 percent signal lost restart download and you're like
0: fuck (laughs) that color though that green color with the yellow loading like that is imprinted on my brain forever so we went from like 1.5 to 1.6 and that's when steam happened right because i remember i didn't i wasn't fortunate enough to have a pc right my parents weren't into computers so for me i had to go to a land cafe and then you had to have like steam had to have these land licenses because yep, people didn't all that. have their own accounts and stuff in the early days and i just remember like just sitting in land cafes and this was like stuff with actually good internet connections still waiting for that kind of shit to download because you went from 1.5 that was um what was it? it was cheating death right that was like the Yep. The anti-cheat or whatever it was for for one point five, and the jump from one point five to one point six, it wasn't that drastic. But Steam was the thing that kind of made a a big change because you just think about the server browser for one thing, like it all yep. of that. I can still, if I close my eyes, I can still see it. Like it's fucking crazy.
2: May I remember? I remember building my PC. Uh, to play CS back in the day, like my first computer. And I was so hyped up. I got a voodoo two video card. Voodoo. How much? Yes, how much memory was on that bad boy. 32 meg. Eight megs of RAM (laughs) on that. Eight (laughs) Eight. Eight megs. And then you could actually get a dual voodoo two and connect them with a little cable to pump it up to 16 to be a real badass. Mate, I, I'm,
0: I'm not savvy like Henry. I know that you were always pretty like tech savvy or at least you know you had a, had a view into that. Like for me, I don't think I built a computer for the first time and maybe until I was in my 20s and that was out of necessity because the current PC I had broke and I had a tournament the next day. I had to go buy all the fucking parts, stay out all night trying to build this shit. And my girlfriend at the time, I was basically fucking spitting the dummy at 2 a.m. when I couldn't get the cunt to turn on and then I've woken up the next day and she's taken it to her brother and her brother's fixed it because he's actually a smart lad and I've been able to play but... I've always been so detached from that. There's like a sect of Counter-Strike players that are like me who just play Counter-Strike and don't know anything about computers and always have tech issues. And then there's like people who actually know what the fuck's going on. I feel like you fall into the, you know what's going on type of category. Um, only because
1: my dad, when I was growing up, so my kind of uh, etymology, if you like, was that my dad works for ATI and then Nvidia as well. So growing up, he always had like all the latest hardware, all the games Like we'd get pre-access to all the games from like EA and stuff. They'd send them to my dad. Um, so when I would like from nineteen ninety-seven uh to like two thousand and one, I would always have two PCs in my bedroom. This sounds like I'm really quite spoiled. I Hack guess it man. was. Um yeah, we'd have like two PCs online all the time. We didn't have broadband internet, but we'd have two PCs always set up. My dad and I would play like Quake Two, Quake Three, Unreal Tournament, and then eventually CS as well. The problem with CS is it's just not that fun one-on-one yeah. in your bedroom, but like yeah. they didn't have bots or anything, but Quake Three did. Um, so yeah, we were always like building PCs. We always got to send the latest hardware and uh, I guess I sort of learned about that stuff then, but I guess it didn't really interest me that much. I was more into the games than I was the building aspect of it. I thought that was more of a chore more of a pain in the ass because back then technology just wasn't as streamlined. Everything would always break. Things would always crash. You'd get blue screens all the time. It was such a nightmare to get everything up and running, especially if you wanted to do your own like lands and stuff like that, but definitely have... A decent understanding of it and I guess like I'm very thankful for that because uh, I guess that's how I got into this whole industry was just playing games in my bedroom with my dad who was basically just trying to live vicariously through me he just wanted to play games as well and it was just a good excuse to bond with your son I suppose
0: yeah well with him being in the industry as well I guess you know probably a see how things work right that seems yeah. kind of weird because a computer only yeah, anyway uh i was just having a, a a quick thought when you mentioned like in your bedroom and everything did mm-hmm. you guys ever go to byoc lands like when we had the crt monitors and we went yeah. to byoc yeah. that was a fucking mission i was going to land since hard.
1: 2005 so yeah definitely and the thing is well tfts were out at that point um and lcd screens whatever but um the crt was just king there was no like uh smaller element there was no like flat screens are doing 120 hertz back then like you could the most you could get was 60 or 75 hertz i believe yeah but i had like crt monitors that get up to 200 hertz and it just felt infinitely better and there was just no way even up until i'd say 2009 2010 i would still be like fuck that i'm using a crt even at university i was still using one yeah. it just felt so much better i didn't care how heavy it was and i could barely pick it up i was such a skinny guy back then i was like this is there's no way i'm using a flat screen it sucks
2: yeah dude those those crts were tanks as well like lugging those from the car in past all the people it was like three trips to get all your gear in (laughs) that's what i I remember we used to play in some competitions like back like when i was trying to qualify for cpl in 2003 we had to play a qualifier earlier that year and back then the monitors i think you said you said 60 hertz i don't know i don't remember if it was like to pump it up to 60 or like 90 or something um but there was like a crack that you had to like bring on the pc like a a, a refresh rate fix or like a hertz fix yeah. um to like unlock yeah. the high yeah to overclock it and like some of the teams would show up with the cd and they wouldn't let other teams have it so they'd be <laughs> playing with like 60 hertz the other players would be on like 30 or 45 or something you know like it was like the same thing as well as you remember
1: you have to overclock your mouse if you use yeah. like an yeah. mouse 3.0 it would be by default 125 hertz but you'd have yeah. to use software and actually overclock it to 500. That was the absolute max you could go back then. 500 hertz in your mouse, anything over that would actually just cook the mouse and it would completely brick it. And yeah, it was like, it's... you turn off the lands and people would just forget that shit and you have to go around and find someone who's got it. It's really difficult to find online. And yeah. it was actually like a really big part of the game if, and people didn't actually know about it most of the time. It's like only a few certain people that had privy to that sort of information.
2: The, the CPL tournaments back in the day used to run all their tournament PCs on, like, Windows 98, so when, like, the switch happened <laughs> up to, like, XP, like, none of the Counter-Strike players changed their operating system for, like, the first three or four years of XP because, like, CPL just kept it on 98 because it was so much easier to, like, navigate uh, in terms of setting up the PC properly for competition and having all these cracks that worked and everything like that, so... It was, it was, uh, it was, it was a wild West. It was wild did, times back then.
0: Did CPL. Cause I, I know in Australia, I think we had to use it for some of the events, but we had so many kind of come through. Right. And in Australia, the way it would work was you had like state-based qualifiers that went to like a national event. Right. And then if you wanted the national event, you got to go to like code five or you got to go to, you know, the CPL here or you, or, or yeah. whatever the WCG, the ESWC, whatever the fuck it was. But I remember like some of the events they sent the people who are going to run the event like a gui and then you everybody would have to use that gui because it would lock whatever settings the tournament wanted you to use like you could still change your sensitivity and do all that kind of stuff so a gui
1: if anyone is listening that basically meant it was their own main menu version where you could like change all the intricate settings like binds and stuff you could bind grenades to certain keys and you could like have all the options that countertrike didn't have by default right
0: Yeah, and I think it also made it so people couldn't do like 16 bit and shit because, like, obviously that was a bit of a. So, limited
1: options, but also gave you extra stuff that you might need, like quality of life stuff. Also, yeah, so
2: at the, at the CPLs, like opening your console during a live match was was banned. It yeah. Was, like, it was forbidden. You weren't allowed to open console and fuck with any of the settings in there because that's where you could like change your interp values to make hitboxes bigger, to make it harder to hit <laughs> there's you. There's so many
1: of these times people aren't going to know what So 16 bit for any of the kids listening, there's basically <laughs> that's the option in your video settings in 1.6. You could choose 32 bit or 16 bit. 32 bit was the standard. Everyone would be using that. That's the one everyone's supposed to be using. But if you use 16 bit, you'd basically get like these 2D pixelated smokes where you could maybe see through them a lot more than the other ones right
0: yeah it was ridiculous how much you could like, because that's the thing even with the regular 32-bit smokes you'd have to throw two on that long crossover anyway so they couldn't see you because if you threw one and you were standing a certain way you could still see like rough outlines through smokes yeah. right they, they, so you to like were a before an different... online
1: official you had to like take screenshots yes, you don't yes. have to come to middle on dust two and throw a smoke down everyone had to take a screenshot and You'd have to submit that to every online game you played. It's the only
0: way we could tell if people were cheating or not. Like it was such a pain in the ass. That's one thing we missed. or well, at least I missed a lot of in the early days was online play because I started playing in a land cafe and then every event I would play would just be at that land cafe or like another land cafe around Perth. And you wouldn't want to play online because if you played online, like from Perth to the Eastern States, you're talking 70, 80 pink right and, and and that was just fucking dog shit so you would just play like locally and we would have i would organize like little wait, events Wait, 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 wait.
2: Did, did you say playing from perth to the states or like uh, to like, the, to, like si- to the other states okay, to like sydney and
0: yeah no 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 no, no, no that's the american to me i heard
2: i heard you say states at like 70 ping and i was like wait well we're just so
0: far ping. away right we're basically yeah, all like so when you we yeah. would always the, the servers would be in like sydney or melbourne so that you yeah. have to connect there and most like people from queensland would they would have like i guess 40 or 50 when the people in sydney and melbourne would all be like 30 or lower adelaide yeah. was a little bit more people i don't think anyone played counter strike from darwin um, but yeah you, that that's kind of how it was and you had you had different sets of communities right like the, the yeah. this is how crazy it was we were running like lan events at Perth land centers with 16 teams at one point, like this is back in like the mid two thousands. It is actually kind of crazy. And these are people like I very influential people on like the way that I look at counter-strike and the way that counter-strike has kind of molded me because those were like the early days when you were the most obsessed, right? Like when you were like in high school, but the only fucking thing you could think about was getting there and playing counter-strike. Maximizing
2: counter-strike hours.
0: Yeah. And, and I, I think the majority of the crew was, you know, I guess, four to six years older than me, maybe, like a lot of the guys. So, you know, it was also a a big learning experience for how you deal with other human beings. Because
1: back then, like gaming was an absolute luxury. Like to have a gaming PC that was like, over a thousand dollars and you'd have to have like the, the knowledge and kind of experience you can get it all set up so it wasn't like as accessible either like you say you had to be someone like me who had like a dad to introduce you to it or someone in the family like an older brother it wasn't like it was uh it wasn't even called esports back then it's called it competitive no. gaming it yeah. wasn't there was no youtube there was no twitch there was nothing like that you just kind of had to stumble into the community
2: And and and, I mean I don't know about you guys I I wouldn't I don't think social outcast is like the wrong word but like definitely was not like socially acceptable yeah to be the gamer in school. Definitely, like no one bro. like no one like hated on you but everyone like took like the wide steps are like there's that fucking gamer that little nerd walking around the school yep. nowadays it's like celebrity status <laughs> Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm, I'm with you though chad in the states we had the same thing because like from the east coast to the west coast in the states like if you played on an la server from where i live in the midwest in michigan it was like 80 ping if you played from like the far east coast like new york it was like 85 90 ping. yeah so in in america the uh we had like four regions essentially like the east coast the midwest the west coast and texas and they all had like you know it was funny because like they all had different play styles kind of similar to how like you know north america has a different play style to europe who has a different play style to brazil who has a different play style to the asian you know it, it, it was fun watching that separation of styles uh, even just within one country because we we're just so big but you had
0: a bit of like uh the, the, and i imagine for those regions like once whoever qualified everybody from that region was supporting that team we kind of had the same thing like yep. Once the, the team or at most of the time it was two teams that would ever go from Perth across, you know, you would always watch them. And then we had one time there was a team called, and this is really rare from, from where I'm from. It's definitely not where the majority of Counter-Strike players were, but the team was called 23 and they actually won uh, the national championship for WCG. Uh, and they got to go over and, and play. And I, I remember like I would stay up until the early hours of the morning just to watch them get slammed by MIBR on Aztec. Like, Just get absolutely fucking dismantled, but it was like that was the infectious part. It's guys who I would play against, who I saw, you know, be the top of Australia and then go overseas, and that was the dream. Like you, I got to see that very, very early on in like the time I was playing. But I think for me, it was really influential because. Like when I transitioned from primary school to high school, the friend group I was with in primary school kind of had a falling out with those lads. And then I became like just a massive loner in high school. And then I found Counter-Strike kind of at the same time. So it like saved me from being completely alone because I was the type of kid I'd sit uh, on my own. I'd have, you know, talk to people and shit, but I kind of didn't want anything to do with people after I had that falling out because it showed me how shit people were just that age of being a teenager. Actually, you know what? Fuck all you guys. And then I found my like validation through grinding through Counter-Strike and that kind of hard work. And I also hated school. The like, teachers were fucking dog shit, mate. They didn't give a fuck. They didn't care at all. This all makes sense life. to Chad. <laughs> Saved my life. Now,
1: I, the thing is the UK education system was pretty bad as well. You had like 30 kids in one class. It didn't really feel like you were getting much out of it whatsoever um so for me i'd always always be thinking about getting home and playing cs yeah. that's all i wanted to do i'd wake up just like fuck just get through school and as soon as you get back you can play all evening and nothing else matters it was a good like escape mechanism i suppose like it felt like nothing else mattered when you were playing cs like i even used to play when i first started playing cs like I was playing in uh with a group of people. It was called the the dogs. It was the deadly old gents. But okay. the thing is to be in this clan, yes. you had to be eighteen years old. I was fourteen, but my voice broke pretty early. So I was just pretending I was a nineteen year old British guy. And I just felt so like I belonged in like a proper men's club, you know, like I was accepted. They thought I was one of the boys and I never, ever told them I was there for like two years playing with them. And they just assumed I was a 19 year old British guy, but I was actually 14. And it was just the magic of the internet back then. And no one could really look you up. No yeah, one, there was no yeah, social no media. Pictures. Yeah, there was nothing. So I just felt so like I belonged somewhere. And it felt so great. Like it was no one judging me or kind of talking down to me. They just thought I was one of one of them. It was, it was such a great
0: um, kind of social aspect of it that's before it all became what it is today but that's that's the cool thing like you could just you were defined by what you were doing in the game that was that's how you were defined as it it was so it was so good can we go back simpler times
2: yeah, my brother and I used to make like uh, we were on the same team for for a while. So we used to actually like uh, during class, we would instead of paying attention to the teacher and the lecture, we would be writing down and crafting Counter Strike strats for the like different, max, like different <laughs> right. setups. Like cool. And we'd like pass them to each other in the hallway to the next class, and like we'd like go over each other's like ideas and shit and break them down. Um, uh, I remember <laughs> my, 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 first CPL, I played with him. Actually, it was the same kind of age thing. It wasn't 18. It was like 16 or 17 back then you had to be because of the rating of the game in the States. Um, and a lot of people got like shut out of their, their opening CPLs of their teams, like volcano and fraud, yeah. um, even element, uh, the Norwegian guy who is one of the yeah. best all time back then had like some issues with his age and playing at the event, but I remember, um, sending money off to. Just a random website that my brother and I found on the internet oh, and no. sending like a hundred and twenty dollars cash to some like an address in Canada that's like we make fake IDs <laughs> for the states, trying wow. to wow. trying to get a fake ID <laughs> to play in the CPL. And did it work? Obviously, oh, of course not, absolutely not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's no ID ever came in the mail. But my brother and I like used to kind of look like each other with all the hair we had back in the day. So right. we just had to do like the standard bar pass back. Like he would oh, go dude, in I hate and he that. would go in, give his ID to the so guy that would check it, he would set up and then he'd be like, all right, I gotta go take a piss. I'll be right back. And then he'd go to the bathroom. He'd give me the ID and then I'd go in and then he'd come back and the guy had already seen him. So we had to like really like finagle and like sneak my way into my first competition. <laughs>
1: oh, so many bad experiences trying to do that. Like, pull the wool over people's eyes. and then when you get caught and you don't know what to do and you're just kind of fro- like freezing up and you don't know how to answer their questions. And they know you're lying. It's the worst feeling in the entire world.
2: God. <laughs> I- well, you know, the, the security at, at eSports event back then wasn't exactly the, t- the you know, the, the, it wasn't the top-notch security folk, right? So was, right. I the, I didn't even get like a second glance. I just I just kind of strolled in. I just bought oh, a video nice. game. It's not, look, lucky.
0: it can yeah. be pretty strict some places, right? Like I remember, it's still like this in Germany. I think you have to be 16 plus to even be in the venue with the game on, right? Because one of the early majors we had. Uh, one of the ones I was playing in, in Cologne, this is when it was still in gamescom. So it must've been 2014. It was just had a ble- a big black curtain around it. That was it. Like it was just uh, almost like a booth in a way They had, I don't even know how many seats there wasn't that many couple hundred. And then it just had this massive black curtain because if the kids were walking around gamescom, they weren't allowed to look at counter Strike. which is it. Look, it's That's pretty crazy. crazy. I'm a 33 yeah. year old man now. I don't know. I still, I still don't see the logic in that, but you know, we'll wait. When, the,
2: when when they did uh when they did CS in Germany didn't they have to like change the settings to be like you weren't killing people you were it's like they would well. surrender like yeah. Yeah. yeah when you got them to like zero they would like kneel down and they put would their hands they wouldn't die
1: they literally like they made their own custom animation where if you got shot the player would just get on his knees put his hands on his head and like go to sleep basically that's that's what happened even in the CGS that's kind of nuts.
0: We, it's a shame we can't watch a lot of that like I think that some of the games I played especially against 50s boys are still out there right uh, some of the stuff's mm-hmm. on YouTube but there was a lot from that right this cgs black hole that we keep referencing is is one that took up a couple years of of our lives and was Kind of crazy. It was it was trying to be ahead of its time. It was on DirecTV in North America. Uh, it was called the Championship Gaming Series. And then basically what they did was uh, they franchised out all these different names, right? So Sydney Underground was the name of the one in Australia. Henry's was London Mint, but there's also Birmingham Salvo. Uh, there was Berlin Alliance. There was uh, Stockholm States. In the States,
2: Stockholm it was like was? Chicago Chimera, like yeah, Dallas right. Venom or Stockholm something. Stockholm Magnetics.
1: Stockholm like Magnetics. That, Magnetic that was the there. one.
0: Yeah. yeah. Carolina Core. Was the one, yep. one that you yeah, had a big uh, yep. uh, San Francisco Optic? That was the one with Merm New York, and Clown. New York
2: 3D. Yes. Uh, and then what was Complexity? Complexity gave theirs to one of them. Ah. Uh, uh, you know
0: fuck yeah. No, it was, like, it was definitely.
2: Because that was man. a huge controversy, yeah. right? Because Jason Lake had to sign over the. This is like one of the great the stories business, about right? Jason Lake that makes him like a legend for like even sticking around is. He had to like, uh, he built up his whole brand in CS and signed the rights to the company over to CGS. And when they folded, they still legally had the yeah. rights. So he had to like legally fight like a TV studio in America, which is not a fun fight to take. Nah. He's a lawyer. Yeah. But you know, it's still fucking muddy time, energy. Oh, yeah. But I mean, he certainly had like the the groundwork to make it happen. But man, he had to battle to just get the rights to complexity back. So, um, when people see everyone kind of celebrating Chase and successes in CS go, uh, in in esports in general a lot of it stems from some of the early crazy battles he had to take well we've come
0: a long way right we've really cut the game has come a very very long way in terms of a lot of the things that are made available to us these days but back then this this was something that definitely felt too good to be true like we were getting we were getting paid a salary and we're also getting a per DM when we're in these things and like as an 18 year old kid like, what the fuck is that like they were giving us money every day just to live in cash we would go into the room with scott valentia yeah. and i forget the woman's name and they'd give you an envelope with cash and that was just what you had to live for the day it's like it was like where 30 grand a year or something
2: right that was like what the studios were yeah paying. i was like, one of the franchise players player.
0: as well i got
1: 35 grand a year oh so, yeah Damn. so uh it was actually I was i was like 18 19. it was actually like. That was the average salary in the UK for yeah. like a, a working man. You know, that was actually good money for just playing CS, which I'd do for free anyway. I would spent the last five years doing it for free regardless. So that was unbelievable. That was so good. I was still at university as well. Funny thing is, well, like I, I only went to university. To play CS, like I didn't want to get a degree or an education, it was just that like, my parents are breathing down my neck to get a job. So I just went to university just to give CS a real go, and I knew I could just play like without anyone, like, yep. um, giving and me a shit thing. about it. And <laughs> then, like, then I got the contract at CGS for two years and the first year of university, I didn't go to a single fucking lecture. Oh. I didn't turn up for anything. <laughs> I was living in America for like 10 weeks and I just couldn't couldn't go to anything. So I had to get all my classmates to sign me in the register and send me the coursework and stuff like that. And I don't know how I got through the three years, but I Jesus. did graduate oh, somehow. Shit. And Good yeah, the first two years it didn't even go. Didn't even attend university and still blacked there. I don't think you could do that these days, but um definitely managed to pull it off somehow. I don't even bother.
0: Oh, I didn't I was like once I was out of high school, I was like I'll do anything. I was fucking stacking shelves at a grocery store. Like it definitely wasn't seeming like the best option that I had made early. And I think that's why my parents were quite concerned at uh, the amount of Counter-Strike I was playing with, with nothing to really show for it. So then when this CGS thing happened, they had no idea, right? I'd already been to, by that point, so this was 2008 for me. I already been to national events in Australia since I was 15. Mum was telling the story. They just came to visit and they were just telling me the story the other day of like, when I was 15, I came home and I said, Hey, I want to go to Sydney. And they were like, what? And I was like, I need money to get a flight to Sydney, and then I ended up getting this flight booked as a fifteen-year-old kid. They let me go with all these like, eighteen to twenty-year-olds who they'd never met before. They like, met, they were like, we have to meet them before you get on the plane. So I was like, yeah, you can come to the airport. So my parents met, met these kids at the airport, and then I went and played like my first national event at fifteen. They did make me drink a shot of vodka and lock me inside a locker. So you know there was a couple <laughs> of things <laughs> that did happen. Yeah, yeah, but. Like from that point on, it was pretty regular for me to go at least over to Melbourne, Sydney, whatever, once or twice a year. Right. But then it happened in 2008. I just went and I was playing an event. And then I like called them. I was like, hey, mom and dad, I just signed a contract. They're like, what? I was like, just signed a contract. I'm going to get paid to play Counter Strike. And that's kind of the point in where it all changed. Right. Because it went from something which was just a hobby, or maybe you'd make, because you'd make a little bit in prize money if you'd win an event. You know, as five guys, you'd win like two and a half, maybe 3,000 Australian. You'd split that. Like that's, that would be the high end. I think maybe I'm misremembering. I don't know if it was actually that much money. <sighs> I think I must be misremembering back in my day yeah and then uh, Australian all right guys the Harvard let's you know it's it's not real it's not real money. <laughs> Okay, uh, check but... this
1: out. My first, the first ever big source tournament in two thousand and five. One hundred and twenty-eight teams playing. It was an I series event, and we won the event. It was like a three-day marathon of the hundreds of games. The grand prize, first place, was two hundred and fifty pounds between five of you. <laughs> Holy! Like, shit. And the entrance <laughs> fee was the... 80 pounds £80 per player. How do they to to even get into that? the event? I have no idea, but we were so stoked that we won. It was absolute <laughs> madness. That was in two thousand and five. At two hundred and fifty pounds <laughs> over 80 pounds, you'd
2: you wouldn't even break even. You <laughs> literally lost money by like winning money. the tournament. That's, amaz- that's amazing. That's actually yeah. ridiculous. We had yeah, we, had, is, so, we had similar shit in the States where like they'd throw like the small regional events and it'd always be like, if we get like eight teams to sign up, the prize pool is X. If we get 10 teams, yeah. the prize pool is Y. If you get 12 teams, the prize pool is Z. And back then, like we used to create Pug teams with all like the pro players from like the region and the area, like around the Chicago area um, and just go in and just stop everyone and win. And eventually teams stopped signing up to go to the yeah. events. because There was no reason. So we had to start signing up under like aliases. So we would sign up as like fucking like James Bond and Chuck Norris and Arnold and like just make our names just stupid shit just to hide the fact that like moses and dominator and cbz and hair were all coming to the event because we wanted right. the prize pool to get bigger so and it wouldn't I mean, be worth attending if you guys are there so you'd have to make up some names bro i don't think like p- people don't realize like back in the day man winning an event as you just mentioned like the prize pool was so small like winning the event like, it was like if you if you traveled to an event like it was like five to six people in like one hotel room essentially mm. and if you if you won the event was the difference between like eating at mcdonald's if you get second place or going to like an applebee's for some fucking mozzarella sticks <laughs> at first place that was that was the bar that was like the step up was like you either get like you know 50 dollars a person or like 80 dollars a person and then you're like booyah
0: it's actually crazy isn't it because we did we did it for the fun and we did it for like being recognized as hey we just beat everybody else here like that's why you did yeah, it and it was prime. Uh, yeah and and that was like that was when we were probably the most into it really, you know, before I think obviously now it has different framing and uh, it's, it's grown to something much better, but back then, yeah, it was, and, and that's another part of it. There was many more rivalries. Like there was guys who you're like, man, this guy's a fucking dick. Like I, or you always thought that this guy played like a clown in clutches or something. There was always like something, you know, and that was another thing you get, so intimate with your opponent because they were maybe a teammate like oh, not okay. that many teams ago that you'd know how they'd clutch or you'd and it, it became like this like layered mind game of shit talk and clutch it was like it was it was so fun like back then because you had your little communities and stuff and it, yeah, well, I shit talking was
1: a main part of the, the main component of it, wasn't it? Like BYOC events, you'd have a room for two hundred people, you'd know exactly where they're sat, and you'd try and just coordinate sort of psychological warfare. Every time you went around, everyone's standing up and screaming, and do we used to do some pretty dark stuff? Like we used to like, um, there used to be, like, do you remember Cadred, uh Chad like the CS source for them? yes, 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 yes. Um, so you used to have a thing called the image gallery on there, so. I remember one thing we did before a game started was that we we knew one of the players there was I like maybe a little mentally weaker than other people. So, we uploaded a photo of him, like quite an embarrassing photo of him to the Cadre image gallery, like five minutes before the game started. And when we were warming up, we just posted the link inside the, the, oh, the chat. <laughs> it was like quite an embarrassing, compromising photo. And just to get inside his head, just like just to give us that slight edge before the game started, we just do mad stuff like that. Like just try and just really go after them. personal Christ. attacks. Yeah, it was like really bad <laughs> stuff, you know, back in and out. It but it's just like, it was just part of the game. It was just accepted. They would do the same sort of stuff to us. And it's just about who could like, Shit, talk the most, and who could i like, piss each other off the most as well. It was really a different time back
0: then. You, my Brits brother, had a different do, shit talk culture, I think. Yeah,
2: my my brother made us all do push-ups and jumping jacks in the tournament area before we sat down at our PCs. <laughs> to <get laughs> okay, the, to get the to get the blood pumping. Bit of, a bit of a taskmaster. Bit of a meathead. Yeah, he was a, he was a bit of a harsh leader.
0: We had uh, we had one team in Perth, and they were called uh, B two C, which uh stood for it had two meanings. uh the actual meaning that was publicized when they would sign up was born to choke. And right? that was the name of their uh, their, right. their team. But they were a collective of massive potheads. So it was born to choke. <laughs> and every time before they were about to play a match, they'd all go out to the car park, they'd jump in one of the bloke's cars, and they'd all just get sozzled out of their mind. And then they'd come in, and they were just deagle fiends. I don't know what yeah. it was about the weed and the deagle, but these guys, like, they were just clobbering people. And I remember, like, it was like, how the fuck... Like, I'm a goody two-shoes. I come from a family where that kind of stuff, if I ever did that, my parents would have, I don't know. I can't even imagine. Uh, So like the idea of weed for me back then was like this mythical drug that, you know, only fucking full-on DGENs and stuff to- Performance enhancing. Yeah. And I was like, (laughs) how are they better? Like they they sucked a second ago and now they're just running around headshotting everybody. Like I I remember that vividly just these, because they were from like close to where I'd lived. So they were like the I wouldn't call them like my suburbs team, but they were almost my suburbs team, right, so it was actually yeah. pretty funny that you had guys doing that shit,
2: dude, It's funny to me because that was the same way in the states was the West coasters were all fucking huge potheads back in the day, like you would go into like you'd go into their hotel room and like. The the fire alarm would be like dangling. They like took out the <laughs> wire so it wouldn't go off. They had put like the hot water running in the shower and they were just fucking hitting bowls in their hotel room. It'd be like walking into a wall of smoke and then they'd go down to the tournament area and deagles were just fucking nuts. Like they were they actually just turn corners and just bang you out. And it's just what a what a weird phenomenon to blow to get. Yeah, yeah exactly. Man,
0: deagle weed phenomenon okay uh we were we were mentioning something with the cgs before i'm trying to remember which little pivot point i was on here so we had the party kim kardashian was there there was the whole oh you were, oh we were standing i was going to call them the lana del rey apartments but they were it was the marina del rey apartments marina right rey, so yeah. do you remember henry there was like down next to the place there was like a it was i think it was like a hawaiian themed restaurant or some sure. yeah burger joint yeah I ate, here, I ate here fifty. I ate really
2: 50. he took me to it one day when we went to la for an event <laughs> and he was like this was the spot we all went to 100 was we to, to get there. these burgers and it, it was exactly a hawaiian place it was a tropical little vibe going on inside well, I, well this yeah. is what it
0: reminded me of because yeah there was there was that area you mentioned before henry obviously 21 to drink in the states so when we we're 18 19 i remember one tegs and booms are in my team i think they maybe were 21 right i think yeah, they were they probably of sure. the legal age but i definitely wasn't i was a little little baby face. I remember we're walking back up the street and we've all got two cartons of Coronas under either arm, like just five Aussie blokes, just Top Gun there, all these big like, burly lads and then me obviously running up the back as just a small little scrawny kid. And um, the cops came past, right? And and we had the beers out and they're like, oh, you're not allowed to have, uh, you're not allowed to show alcohol in public. And we we're like, oh, sorry, we're Australian. And they're like, oh, it's all right then. You know, I just fucking drove off. This is back like, what, 2008? Yeah, so a whole different thing. But... It got to that point because we were all in those Marina Del Rey apartments that when you have kids this age, obviously, there's going to be a bit of alcohol consumption, a bit of partying. The parties were apparently nuts. Like I heard one okay. where like the cops came. I wasn't at this one, but the cops came and people are like jumping out of the windows and like climbing down the balconies so they didn't have to talk to the. Because we're all from overseas on Esther's. Like it wasn't like that we had visas to be there or anything like that, right? So we were all and nobody wanted to get in trouble. People were underage. We knew what could happen. I remember one night. I don't, we ended up, Hank. You had, uh, you had a couple of, because uh, each thing, this is what people maybe uh, I didn't highlight is that each franchise team had a FIFA player, it had yeah. a dead or alive male player, a dead or alive female, female. player, a two fours of drivers, and a Counter Strike team. And that's, that was what made up the franchise. And that's when you competed, all those points kind of got thrown together. And that that's how you either progressed or didn't progress. So unfortunately, even you could win as the Counter Strike team and it didn't matter. Um, yeah. but you had, you had a couple, they were sisters. I'm pretty sure Henry up from they yes. were the, the, the fighting. Yeah. And I remember, um, uh, we were down at the beach and like, I was with one of them. I don't know, but it wasn't, wasn't, it? I was only a little, you know, young lad. So nothing, nothing too crazy. But, uh, I remember like, we were all down there by the water one night and drinking as all these underage kids. And I, with one of them, the cops came, the sirens came and everybody just started fleeing through the streets of like Los Angeles, like near the beach. And everybody's just fucking. I just remember, I forget which one it was. I don't know. I don't know from which team it was, but I just remember these, these girls and the next, yeah, actually maybe that's where the story should stop. The story, yeah, let's leave, let's leave the story <laughs> Maybe wait another 10 years, wait another 10 years before we, because I'm implicating uh, other people who are still involved in things. So we'll, we'll stop it there.
2: <laughs> that's a good, good time to pump yeah. the brakes. Yeah. I remember it was always funny. Cause like one of the sad things watching CGS, cause I wasn't involved with it was that like Counter-Strike almost in some ways, like had Sometimes, like, the least impact on how on which franchise won. Yeah, I know in the States, like, one of the big things out of the first season was. I remember Destruct was the GM for I think Chicago Chimera. Okay, Uh, that was Shaggy's team, wasn't uh, it? EKT, right? Yeah, yep. And he, uh, and he like was given so many props for like a really clever drafting strategy because he drafted like the number one and the number two Forza racers with his one and two pick because that game, if they won, would get you like an extra four or five points. Yeah, like most of the other games would just get you like one or two. I think with FIFA, it was like the goal spread was the number of points. Counter Strike was the score spread as well so if a game ended like nine eight you only get one point if you beat him like nine yep. one you get eight points but like you know he was just basing out averages so yeah that was just a that was a weird weird system it was super hard to watch even in the states as well it was like a pay-per-view they like tried to do like pay-per-view esports yeah. in a world where like nobody cared about esports
0: it was a bit odd. Like I, I so who was commentating? DJ Wheat and uh Fatality would commentate some Toss stuff.
2: As well, Red Eye. Yeah, Red and Eye Fatality, was the yeah. Mate, some of those commentary uh contracts too- back then were uh let's just say they're a bit they were hefty, they were mental. Like uh, I know I know there was like a million dollar contract passed out for commentary at CGS. Really? Yeah. For, well we're for getting underpaid
0: the today then by the sound of Yeah,
2: things. we surely are. <laughs> that, was, that, that was that was money. in two thousand and eight. <laughs> Fuck. Oh man. How far we've come. Oh, oh no. dear.
0: Well, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think. Uh, wh- so we, we had the whole CGS thing. For people who aren't too familiar, we woke up one day and the website had changed basically been taken down saying the had gone under and I believe Scott Valencia took off with a million dollars or whatever right so it was also during the financial crisis back then so you can understand why something like yeah it it wasn't ideal but then that's kind of when we got thrown into to the reality of things and you know you had to go back to doing something a little bit more normal I from that point went back to Australia still played Counter-Strike um, like competitively, but I would write articles for a website. And when it's writing articles, it wasn't really, it's just like throwing little news bits
2: together. Or whatever. Like a little, a little opinion pieces.
0: Yeah. And then after that, I like had to work real people jobs again. I, I had a friend or I still have a friend. She got me a job in a supermarket. And then I became like a produce manager of that supermarket. I worked going around to people's houses, uh, assembling Ikea furniture for like 50 bucks an hour. So really, that was actually a pretty fucking good job. I worked oh, Well, with... you're still
1: pretty good at that, Chad. I think that's valuable life experience. Yeah. You've always, yeah. When I lived with you, you were always building the stuff around here and doing a fantastic... You got
0: the Alan thing. Have, keys? You ever,
2: have you ever showed up on Hikea, the no. uh, YouTube channel?
0: No, no. I don't know what substance of choice I would go for either with, uh, with that one right there. I think if I was on something like crazy, like DMT or some shit, I probably wouldn't be... I don't think you should other. be
1: doing that on DMT mushrooms, maybe. DMT might be a bit intense. I was going for the strongest <laughs> <Yeah>. shit out <laughs> the gate here. Yeah,
2: yeah you really did. You, you started at the top. I didn't start with heroin, <laughs> at least, you know, so we, we,
0: we left it somewhere safe. Uh and then what else I oh I had a I had a girlfriend at the time whose mum owned like a merchandise company and I would go to gigs, festivals and like theater events and I would sell merchandise. So I, I did so much oh and then I became a plumber. I did all that kind of stuff between like CGS ending and then start of CSGO while oh, still there's playing. And no Freight- after that was it? I didn't it was have a choice. wasteland. Yeah. Uh,
1: there was no money to be made, there was no salaries being given out, like some 1.6 teams elite ones were getting like i think it's quite documented that like even like nip and sk and stuff we're getting like 500 euros a month maybe yeah pretty point. fuck all yeah
2: that was the uh that was the first uh north american dark ages of counter-strike that was what the the the, the death of cgs is what really kicked off the uh, the dark times because like when you remember it was such a controversy for all like the old school like 1.6 players that had been on all the 1.6 teams that went over to cgs afterwards and cgs wouldn't let them contractually they were they were prevented from competing in any 1.6 event they weren't oh. allowed to play the game at tournaments that went on mm-hmm. um, and i think they were even turned down from attending like third party source events that were not cgs as well um so literally there was no reason for any tos or any kind of activity to exist in the space during that period because none of the top players none of the teams could actually go compete in them so when cgs died they like that's when all of our pros like europe since you kept on with 1.6 like a lot of their pros like i mean kept playing and kept passing on knowledge and and, and this is the first time in the states where when cgs died all the players were like there's literally nothing left in counter-strike and esports so Time for me to go to college, time for me to get get like a big boy job, time for me to move on. Uh, and none of those pros stuck around to like pass on skills and, you know, game knowledge and anything to the next generation. So that was like the first great yeah. reset.
1: That's exactly what happened in the UK as well. I know UKCS is a bit of a meme, um, but in, in Source especially, like we are one of the leading nations. Like you had yeah. very games guys who were the number one and then you had like Denmark um with people like fetish and everyone like that like they were like the number one in two nations and then uk was number three easily there was times as well where birmingham south or london men were the one and two teams ranked in the world um and it kind of all died like at that point when the cgs died we had to go with real jobs the older boys like myself yep. were like 25 24 at this point and uh we had to just disappear from the scene there was no one else to carry down that knowledge
2: like you said like at least you had great. that college degree
1: yeah exactly exactly so um <laughs> At that point, like, UKCS, there really had no leaders at that stage. And, like, it was like myself, Rattlesnake, Husey, people like that just didn't continue playing. And there was no one else to kind of carry the torch for anyone. Yeah. And that really just stunted the growth of the UKCS. It,
2: it actually, like, always, like, kind of hurts me a little bit that UKCS isn't, there's no, like, UK teams and players really active in, in professional systems. Just Mezi, right? Yeah, well, Mezzi. I mean, I remember, like, Four, like, four
1: Kings. and You know, like, they're True. still going. Yeah, it's not the same. Level is what it used Mad to Mad Max is real.
2: I just remember, like, the, yeah, the, the four Kings teams from back in the day with all the British yep. players on there were so. like a legend. Yeah, Magic Capra was a big one. Yeah. But, one out for the though.
0: Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit, it's like Australian Counter Strike at the moment, right? It's a bit of a meme. Like, people only know Justin. That's it. Like, and the rest of Australian Counter Strike. Yeah, we have a team, but that's that, that is, that slot is more because of what. I guess we, as Vox Eminor and shit, did in early CS:GO days to put Australia on the map, right? Because before that, you guys wouldn't have known anything about Australia and Counter Strike. Like, I think I only
2: know one thing about Australian Counter Strike from back in the day, Chad. I yeah. always bring this up when we get down this when we go down this road. It's, and this is a moment in counter-strike that will be like lost. It's lost in history. There's no way to go back and find any like footage or anything like this. It's when F zero came to a CPL. Yes. Ranked like, I don't know, like 124th or seated something like that. And they played against team 3d, which I think was like one of like the top three seeded teams, like the number one team in North America at the time. Um, and they. Out it out on cobblestone and, yeah on cobblestone nobody knew it before that you could throw smokes and nades over the ceilings of the map so they would just chuck like five smokes out of t spawn rushing B on cobblestone and they didn't even care where they landed it was just like five randomly placed smokes that would just plume and like the the cts on 3d like they just didn't know what was going on they were like so confused they didn't know how to play it and and they had they they just delivered this like crazy ass upset like probably the biggest upset i would imagine by seeding in cpl history uh and it just like sent shockwaves through the entire tournament that's back and when that's, it was still
0: like mr 12 yeah. right
2: yeah yeah and i mean the fun thing too is like again we talk about we talk about the new generation not really noticing it this is like an era where not only did we not have pictures of each other but there was no like youtube there was no reddit there was no hub so like teams finding out tricks like that like you come into an event and if you have that trick up your sleeve it's such a huge advantage because there's no way to discover it like there's no way to really even research it back then the demo watching was like you could play demos but you couldn't pause rewind or fast forward until way later in the game so even watching the game jason
0: At the events that, like, because it would have been, it would have been the same for all of us, but at these events, like, it wasn't like there was even necessarily a projected video feed of the game. The way you would watch was you would hope that you got there in time to stand behind the teams and physically watch their monitors and then play. And that's that would be have part to, of like, the I'd yeah. be aware
1: when I'd be playing those games. I'd be like aware of who's watching me. And I think they're going to be taking notes of how I'm yeah. playing this right now. I remember one one run very clearly, like our biggest rivals who stood behind us when we were playing an inferno game. And back then I used to be a B player. And my pistol strategy would be get drop the deagle, I'd buy armor, I'd hold banana by myself, the deagle. And they they I kind of heard them even talking about it behind me, like, Oh, Henry plays up a deagle and so we should rush B and take taken down, trade him out. So when we actually played them, I said, Right, guys, listen to me. This is gonna sound nuts. We're gonna get five H Grenades and pistol, and we're gonna like throw the penta grenade oh, down please. banana. We needed every didn't get a single kill with <laughs> the pistol, we killed all five of them grenades, and it was just like part of the game because I could just I just knew they were gonna try and counter it, and it yeah. was just like that was a really fun kind of like uh element of strategy. I really enjoyed that. I wish we they'd had bring that. that
0: back, man. Like, obviously, not in that regard, but like in the sense that we could have a um, a, still a decent event, but where it's smaller scale or it's group stage where there's that possibility for fans to come and physically like not be too close. I'm not saying like, make sure that you can lick, you know, you know uh, yeah, yeah. ear or anything crazy like that, but you can stand because, that's where you actually get the unique perspective of how the game is physically played and that is the most interesting part too many
2: crazy people in the world be, these days, i'm yeah. afraid as i was gonna then, say it would be cool <laughs> to have like the vip ticket or like the aspiring pro ticket and like they can come to the group stage and you have like a barrier set up and they get a watch from behind the teams and everything gonna yeah, so be anxious as a tr <laughs> plan, oh yeah well, and, well and, i mean it's, it's, yeah it's the problem with that, that is all the extra costs of like having additional security and people to organize and like having bathrooms and food and drinks set up like I guess you fit so him like in a, a cage, like a yeah. zoo okay. set You know? yeah. Yeah. Okay. everyone in the cage. Sure. That would work.
1: <laughs> and you can't get too close. You can see, Have a look <laughs> through. That's their way. Anyway in their like natural habitat.
0: <laughs> yeah. <that's, anyway. laughs> well, to be fair, it does feel yeah. like a lot of these TOs are allergic to good ideas. So this probably would just stay in the good idea pile and we'll never really get a look in. Um,
2: to break a look from the history of actually just on that on that point, Blast had a little, uh, has a cool idea going on at this event. So oh, any, I like it. Any, yeah. Any, any fan who bought a ticket already to the fall finals in the Royal Arena, they're doing a signing session with all the pros oh. at the Royal Arena today. Okay. So all the teams are there, and anyone who already has a ticket gets to go and get a signature and say hi and a picture and blah blah blah. So that's kind of a that's kind of a cool way to do it as well.
0: That's not what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to talk about the setup they have here. Like it's like this like the octagon setup, the layout. The setup is
2: the setup is cool. I like and, it. I mean, yeah, I like and, it. remember remember too, they kind of like they kind of brought that back uh, at their London event uh, yes. in 2020 right before COVID hit, and everyone loved it. It gave them great content. The fans enjoyed it. The players loved it. The talent loved it. And then COVID hit and they couldn't do it anymore so it's cool to to see them bring it back I still wish well the nice thing is they have that they have that glass right they like frosted glass which is which is key I just wish the players were fucking closer (laughs) I wish they were I wish they were literally table to table I don't even give a fuck about the community I agree everybody is
1: a yeah. lot more fun to watch when you kind of really get in their faces and like it's yeah. only for a few seconds between rounds right when the, the glass is like defrosted yeah. and you get in there I, and
2: I, I asked them about it and they said the only reason they had to do it this way is because when they when they did the group stage right with uh, with the six best of ones all four teams set up at a different location and they didn't move them around because yeah. they wanted to save the time so they would sometimes right. have like teams kind of next to each other so if they get the desk close to each other then it starts to get a little bit iffy but
0: yeah I don't know man I just remember I, I've told this story a million times but the MSIB event that we played the first international event i played for source uh sorry for csgo uh, in 2013 the group stage was as we're talking about it now like it was just rows and rows of tables right so they had set it up so obviously you couldn't see your opponent's screens but there was one game that we ended up playing against the chinese team and that ended up having a couple of names that went on to go to like a tai lu or whatever um and they were we were physically like they were on the desk directly in front of us so we as a bunch of australian lads were like havoc we had sniper as a top gun me and at this point top gun is a truck driver uh havoc was a carpenter as a big boy uh i was a plumber and sniper he was he was an adult too and uh we would all just jump up and yell at them after we're winning rounds like looking at and they wouldn't look at us they wouldn't look at us they wouldn't like they would just keep their eyes down and like we knew it was fucking getting to them because it's in their home country like, we're in China just fucking going off. like, And we weren't, like, smack talking and saying anything. Like, we're just like, yeah, like, they played a bad round or we just own someone, you know. And, like, that part, it was so fun. Like, that, that right there is so fun. Obviously, there's levels to it. The way the Call of Duty guys in America do it, that's fucking over the top. That's, that's a bit
1: too good. much, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. That's a, that is like borderline cringe. I don't like to use that word too often. When you see that, it's like, bro, like, you look like such an idiot. You're going to regret this. Like, yeah. going up, going go, oh, like, just, oh, he's fucked it up, lads. He's, he's messed that round up. Like, it's going to cost you the game. Like, that's the sort of level. Yeah, oh, that's that's fair enough. But when you start getting, like, real personal, vicious yeah. attacks on people, like, that's an it
0: looks like uh, a bit too much. Yeah, some people don't know where that level is, that, that line in the, in the sanders, unfortunately. Because like, and it's a lot of stuff we probably don't get. But as these teams, it was like Hampers gave us a little bit of a look into that recently when uh, it was during Cologne, I think. And he like told a story about a time Cadian kicked him from a server during prac. And like that kind of stuff, (laughs) like beefs between players from Prax or shit like that, like that exists. Why did he kick him? I don't know. I think Hampus was like, I think what Kadian thought Hampus was doing was trolling, or you know, I don't know. I don't know. You know, Hampus—he's the type of guy running in your face. It's it's
2: amazing. It's amazingly petty, which is what makes it so good.
0: Yeah, but that's like what it is, and those little like personal grudges, and you take those into games. I know that Kadian, like he's. I've asked him a, a bunch about being the heel and all this kind. Of, you can see him lean into it a bit more. Kadian's one of the guys though. When he gets fired up, you can see like the forums light up. So, like, oh, why's Kadian do it? But it's like, okay, like Kadian's level is him getting excited, trying to bring his team mood up and everything. I know for some people, they might see it as a little bit excessive, depending on what culture you're from. But that type of stuff right there, I was the type of guy to yell and get fired up like that. So I can appreciate it. Yeah. I see the downsides, like people are like, oh yeah, but when you're losing, I get it. I understand. Uh, yep. You're not meant to be losing, so yeah, know. But also,
2: uh, look at his team. Like his team yeah. has the most, like the four people around him, all good reserved. players. They're so passive. And when the comes coach to like that emotional explosion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's famous for having one look on his face at, at all times for every emotion. <laughs> <laughs> <True>. <laughs> He's must be loving it
0: there. They've that well, actually oh, sure. they're having I'm bad a not in that, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you know which is an interesting one. The one I saw the other day, Forrest staying, he's uh he's looking for a team, right? He, he's a free agent, yeah. which is the first time in his entire career, which is since you know, the beginning of time, it feels like. He's actually yeah. looking for a team. He's, like, he's streaming he's like every
1: day. Theory, though you want to come in. Like, you need someone to step in, like Snacks yep. has been doing the last few years. You want Forrest to come in for your event. It's this, this a wild card. Like, that's such a great idea. I think that's a great show. He's still got it for sure.
0: Yeah, I watch his streams most days.
2: and Getting great numbers as well, right?
0: Yeah. I think well, he He's deserves, such a good, personality. He's he, he's such I, a good I, personality. Which he never used to be, right? He never used to be. He would never do interviews. When he was the best he, he player in the world, it, he, he never either. did it. Now he's doing but the eyebrow like, thing.
2: I think I think players, I mean, the the interview environment is such like a weird situation, I think, for players to step into because it feels like so like formal and official for them, I imagine, like, you know, the stream really lets him kind of let loose. It's its own comfort zone. He's at home. He gets to chill. I imagine he's I mean, behind the scenes, we've all known what kind of an awesome, awesome guy he is to to chat with for a little bit about the game. So uh, that's probably a cool exposure to the to the wider Counter-Strike audience. And he's
0: still, like, I think Forrest is 34. I was having a look at this yesterday. I was just, ha- yeah. so he's, uh, yeah, he's 34. So, and, and you watch him play like, but he was always one of these like natty gamers. Like that's, he's just a guy who has that natural knack for it. So it'd be interesting to see if, if he does find another team and, and where he ends up, but I've slightly taken us off path, but Forrest is a good way to get back on. We started Henry asking you about when you went to mm-hmm. San Francisco, right? Got to go to Valve HQ. I know it's a decade ago now, even a little yeah. bit over, but, like, do you remember much about that? Like, the officers and the people you oh, met absolutely. and the other teams yeah, and shit? Yeah.
1: So, um, who was invited? I was in the team MTW at that point, yep. uh, a source team, and they invited very games as well. And I believe some Danish players, along with other personalities like Joe Miller, um, Torble as well, and just a few other like key names. And we were invited out for one week in total and we flew out there picked up at the airport and we went to the hotel and the first day well we weren't even told what was happening we weren't told we were playing the new version of cs go or anything or cs in general we were just told oh we just wanted to come out and meet some of the players and to see what you guys are about and talk about counter-strike and we got there and we got placed in a room with 10 pcs and i think ido is his name yeah, there's that, that the guy? Yeah, he came in and he goes, "Right, guys, um, you might not be aware of this, but we're making a new version of CS. It's called Counter Strike Global Offensive, and the thing is, it was actually like more of a, a console game originally." And they just kind of made the U-turn to make it an actual PC title instead of a console. Mm. And we played the very first version of it. And my god, was it absolute dog shit. Like, we all hated it. We thought it was absolute trash. Like, the AK and M4 didn't work. It was like the P90, the Bizon, those are the only weapons that actually did anything. The Deagle wasn't accurate. And they just sat us down, and we played like 10 games of it. And because they've been so nice to us and my phone was over and putting it up in this five star hotel and taking us out for meals and stuff, we didn't really know what to do because we're all there just hating it and thinking it was a shit game. Like this was in the peak of Source as well. I know Source has a bad reputation, but in 2011, it was actually pretty solid. Like all like Z block and stuff like it's actually a really legit game. Um, And we're going to play that and it just felt like absolute ass. Um, so we're having these meetings, and I remember all the French boys are there as well, like Shoxi, RPK and stuff like that. They didn't really speak English back then. And they were trying to like we're having these big meetings, like trying to like tell them like why we didn't like it. And these guys are just like, well, uh, it is shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like i I had to like kind of be the leader at this point as I was like, at this point I was working like a proper job at Microsoft. That's pretty good. You understand speaking. corporate speak Yeah. So I was like <laughs> trying to so kind of water it down and not to say it was shit. Um, so I was like trying to explain to them like basically like you've taken away what Counter-Strike is, like the iconic weapons and what makes it really skillful. You've really like watered it down with the SMGs and everything just feels like terrible. I I really don't know what to tell you. That it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel like Counter-Strike anymore. And they didn't take any of our feedback on board whatsoever. They like they were like nodding and taking notes and stuff but the version that got released the first like alpha pretty rough. was the exact same build we we played and they, even though we told them everything sucked and it didn't make any sense and it like as usual that's how counter-strike always starts like like i said like source when it first came out absolutely sucked and gave it such a bad yeah, reputation it was same thing with csgo everyone hated it when it first came out like people might not want to remember that but no one wanted to play it all the 1.6 players are saying like i think zonic famously said like um csgo will never be as big yeah. as 1.6 like it will never ever happened like and he it, it, to some extent he was right because it's such a bad version of the game no one wanted to touch it and it left such a sour taste in our mouth we're like this is the future of cs now it was the reason a lot of us stopped playing we're just like i don't want to be part of this like this yeah. is not the game that uh, we want to be playing and i did play a lot of it in the alpha and stuff and i was like trying to get into it but if anything, I suppose the best thing about it was it brought the 1.6 and Source community together. I remember those alpha days. Yeah. It was the first time I'd ever played with like Natu and stuff and Get Right. Like, I never actually got to play with them because we came from two different worlds. But when the alpha was out, we were in this IRC channel called uh, Viva La Bizon. And there was a sort of funny name because the Bizon was the best weapon in CSGO. So it was like a pickup channel where all the 1.6 and Source like, top pros would play. And uh, that's where we kind of got to meet each other and start that community almost. But yeah, the game absolutely fucking sucked, bro. Like, for the last for the first two years of it, it was so bad. But um, I guess that was the one thing about it is that everyone was playing it and was hoping it would change. And obviously, it did. I I think it was when the the skins came out, people really started to pay attention to it yeah. and realize, okay, maybe there's something here. But God, did it take a while? Like maybe five years before we- it became like a really decent game.
2: We talked about this yesterday, briefly, Chad, on, on the podcast with Duncan and Richard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, this is, it's curious that Valve flew you out to HQ because it was developed by an entirely different company. In path, it was right, like yeah. Turtle yeah. Rock or something, right? The people- so, like... <laughs> Was that. Is that why, like, that has to be, like, there has to be a reason why some of your feedback wasn't, like, there was probably, like, a filter, right? Like, it went through Valve, who passed it yeah. on to the other developer. And... Well,
1: they were there as well, and like I said, I think they were just brought on to make the console version of Counter-Strike. That's how it started, okay. and they just they just weren't aware of the competitive nature of it, and that's why they flew out these pros yeah. to kind of give them feedback. I just, I just think they disregarded it, because we were all so young and weren't really giving maybe very valuable feedback. I'm not sure. Maybe they just thought we were quite spoiled and didn't really understand what they were trying to do. And I guess for the five star
2: hotel. Of course you were spoiled. Yeah. Well, I guess they just they,
1: we won the key demographic back then. Like I said, the eSports yeah. wasn't really a massive thing. This is 2011. It was just like they just wanted to make a game that was like it, it, just, it just sold copies. And it was like it was the, the masses enjoyed it. And I guess maybe it was easier for people to play with the SMGs and just run around and kill people. That's really all they cared about. And you could tell it was like a console port. It really did feel like garbage um but yeah it was it was a very strange time it was, it was such a shame we had such a bit of taste left in our mouths that like the fact that none of the feedback was taken on board they all gave us like oh we're going to make you your own private forum on steam forums and we're going to give mm. you like this private email and stuff and you can give us your feedback we all were there posting in there and no one ever applied no one really got back to us and we just left feeling a little, little disenchanted i suppose it's like oh, fuck this That's... you're not going to listen to us and not even reply in the forums like why did you even bother flying us out but um We got there in the end. There was like a
0: like a was it like was is it GitHub or whatever it's called right? Where I remember there was just for a while there, there was just this massive page with all the bugs in the game, right? Just this laundry list that you know that they could turn to to see people because this is the way it works, right? People will go, they'll look for a solution. If the community can find a solution or find, first we find the problem, then someone in the community tends to find the solution. If we can't, then hopefully Valve can. And some of the things we obviously haven't been able to. But ever since like Valve took over from Hidden Path, that's when the game really started to turn around, and they they salvaged it. And the whole thing was right in TF two was where they did the experiment of like skins or cosmetics, hats, and then, right. then yeah, Counter Strike is where yeah. they fucking nailed it. And when they nailed it in Counter Strike, yeah, that's what got all the excitement. And and I watch it now. Like Rush keeps telling me about this guy called own own Pixel. I'm probably saying his name wrong, but like how how he's really into the skins and all this crafting stuff and the fact va- i don't look into it. i know scrawny's into the value of all that i know yeah. henry you and alex have taken a dive before looking at the skins but that's its whole th- its own thing now like it's great yeah. it's cosmetics for the game we have cool so like, it's ecosystem really is it. yeah it's its own beast like it- and now the art you saw those stickers that came out for the ten year. i know like a lot of our 18 year old counter-strike players out there like this is fucking shit valve did nothing but those stickers right the, the people who made those stickers are all going to make a shitload of money from those stickers. Mm-hmm. And the artwork on them is amazing. Like yeah, the amount of to stuff to. they can do with it. Now it's really, really cool. Like you look at where we started and where we are now, Molotovs were banned in the beginning because they were so powerful. We used to have to play. I'm looking at screenshots right now. We used to have to play on versions that were like D underscore Inferno underscore S E because the fog was so much like on yeah. dust Two, For example, Fogs if you to all yeah. from top mid, you couldn't see mid doors. So we have to play Molotov all these maps.
1: On, you played Nuke on the CT side. You could Molotov um, lobby from CT spawn. You could Molotovs wouldn't explode in the air. They'd go across the entire map. You could throw and the Molotov. Sl- right.
2: And they slowed you down.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you could throw a Molotov <laughs> through the skylights in the upper bomb site to squeaky door from spawn. So you could just shut down rushes. That like rushes yeah. weren't possible in that version of.
2: L4. And they slowed you down, and you couldn't extinguish them with smokes. So yeah, yeah, you couldn't extinguish them. That was
1: the main <laughs> thing. So it literally locked everyone out of the, the the round. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that was a massive hindrance to the game. Wild
0: Matt, times. I'm I'm now just I'm reflecting and going through some of these screenshots here. I think I was telling you this on Monday night, Henry. Actually, um, mm. when when we first transitioned from CS: Source, and there was obviously 1.6 teams doing the same thing we team immunity which was the team i was a part of at the time had a 1.6 team and we were the source team and i'm looking at the screenshots right now like this is like a bunch of guys who are really good 1.6 players like gaza for example yam Benor, destiny they all played like overseas in 1.6 at events and then ricky who we all know like went over he played he still plays to this day uh, csgo right but my team was top gun as a havoc and sniper and like mate i I probably only took the good, good screenshots. I'm sure maybe they got a couple versus us, but we were fucking bodying them. Like that felt so good early because it was like a grudge match. It was like, hold up a second. So the owner of this team, right? We were the best source team in Australia for like a whole year. Nobody fucking touched us. Bit of a different lineup, but whatever. Nobody touched us. Tony said he was going to send us to a dream hack overseas to or whatever event. Maybe one of those, uh, what were those lands? The Experience, those. The Experience. Yes, yeah, we were meant much. to get sent to one of those and it never yeah. happened. And so, and but he was always doing all the stuff for the one point six team. So we had such a fucking grudge. So when we played well, him in in CS:GO, we were just like we were going to rail them every time.
1: Source teams had the advantage for sure. Like remember, yes. all the maps were direct ports of CS Source. and even though NIP were the number one team, you have to remember Freiberg and Fifth Lahren were Source players, and yep. they passed that knowledge on, and they gave all the hints and tips to all the. The much more skilled players and the people that could really carry them they brought all the knowledge with them of the cs source maps and how to play it and all the smokes and all that sort of thing nades so you definitely nades were so different you needed to have source players in your team you had yeah. to have a hybrid at least And um, that's why nfp was so successful they found that perfect recipe of the knowledge of source players and the skill of the 1.6 guys and that's why it worked so well and they had that dynasty going on it was uh, a perfect recipe for it
0: they had the mix, whereas Very Games just had the sources, right? And they like, yep. sure they had like all the really cool utility usage and the set pieces or whatever. But they just they just couldn't hang with with all that experience from the other guys, right? Because when you compare the one point six level of events and just how yep. long they, have it's not the same. Like most of the events that the very games guys were totally. playing at were BOCs, right? For, for i a lot series of them. and stuff, like yeah. they just
1: played yeah. ice series against me every week. That was pretty much they just come and be me. I'd come second, they they'd come first. That's pretty much all they had to do. Yeah, they
0: <laughs> they were fun to watch. Actually, I re- I was watching they you were. back in the day. I was watching. That's the thing. I don't. We never played against each other uh in source Days. you might have played against like archaic which is like a version that came over later yeah, yeah. But
1: they, they, they came to a few European events
0: yeah I at that point I was like oh I guess I have to get a real job now and was, was still playing but had taken a bit of a step back and I remember those guys going over I think Top Gun was with them and stuff and Boomser and shit Havoc and yeah, all those exactly. guys and uh it was fun watching those type of events back back then I'm trying to think what other big stuff had happened obviously Right. Counter-Strike has evolved a lot. I'm looking at pictures of how the old UI and and everything like that, all the operations and that stuff. But in terms of like competitively speaking, the, the majors, so this is obviously the first one happened uh, 2013, December like the, even the first major didn't feel like anything too crazy like it was like an auditorium yeah. you know it was-, it was so
1: old school man even you listen back to the recordings it sounds like anders is coming through on like the wireless fucking am radio yeah. or something like yeah. that like it's so bad it's like we had like such entry-level sort of competitions you're right it was just like a theater with a couple of hundred people on stage with just basic desks and the monitors to set up there like nothing too special but still it was everyone was so passionate about it they, they loved it still
0: it's interesting to see like the progression over the years and and some of the things that we we talk about quite often is like how some of the things that we did in the early days especially from a broadcast perspective were good and then we've gone back on them for whatever you know business person reason like not having casters and analysts in arenas or the crowd audio, like it's crazy how some of the events the crowd audio is perceived to have gotten worse. And we're like ten years into this, it is th- those little details there are, are, are kind of nuts. But then we had the whole like coaching de- situation with like Starx was going to be the coach because he was going to be able to communicate the whole time. Then Valve come in and step. And say no, we want it to be a bit more like uh people would be able to play at home. I'm just trying to think what other massive define because there's been a lot of defining moments, right? Well, I
2: think I think like the uh the expansion of the map pool and then there was yes. the era of the randomizer as well for the final map of the series. <laughs> um, I kind of like that. I don't know. I didn't I didn't mind the randomizer to be honest with you. I know like from a competitive standpoint and from a player perspective, it's probably shit. But I did I I don't mind like an element. Randomizer of there was always cobble as well. Yeah, that was the problem when NIP won their major. Loaded dice. Yeah, it randomized to Cobble like three of their most critical matches. They got to play Cobble. Oh, good times, man.
0: That's the one where I uh, we we also
2: It was also the controversy of, uh, not controversy, but the uh, I guess it would be a conspiracy theory that the randomizer was picking Cobblestone for the Dragonlord drops.
0: Ah, yes. Okay. We love good conspiracy theories in Counter-Strike, don't we? There's so many. Yeah, you know, this is why it is because it's like, guys, come on now. Could just be a coincidence or actually mate, not nah, I look the valve guys <laughs> always seem really nice to me like I I the the Katowice major the first one that I was at actually competing we were there like early because we were always on time and like happy puppies just you know happy to be there and we were kind of testing the servers they were setting up so we got like a brief little exchange with them there and then the more I would go to the majors we'd see them time and time again like Brian and and uh Ido and and those lads and uh, you'd see them more and more over the years and you built up a bit of a rapport. And then
2: sure.
0: then it kind of just stopped. And it, it didn't stop because uh, of them. They were still coming for a little while. But I went from being a player to doing this. And also, I didn't get to work uh, many majors until, uh, what was it, like twenty late 2018 is where 17? my spree really started. Yeah, I did the Krakow one. Okay. But then E-League yeah, are Krakow. a bunch of cunts and they didn't hire me for two events back to back, which, yeah, fuck E-League. Uh, and then um, <laughs> who did I work for after that then I it was face it and then face it Face yep. It weren't going to hire me and then Duncan and face Richard had dumb. my back and came out and got that sorted that one was so fucked man like I do I leave I'll, I might leave it we'll leave it it will it, yeah, we can go another it. couple it's years before we get into those it's ones worth, yep. there's some fun ones I, I want to tell for a
2: lot of us that one I remember yeah.
0: the face yeah. it one
2: yeah Yeah. yeah.
0: dead yeah. now of course go, get um, to the fun ones <laughs> <laughs> the fun ones. I don't know. I I really liked. Um, I don't know. I don't, I've really liked a lot of them. I think the one that Krakow was was interesting. I thought Krakow was a really interesting uh, major. Obviously. Henry, you did the final with Mac there, right? When it was uh, yeah, my Immortals first final. versus
1: Gambit. Oh no, actually my second I, my first final was the first major I ever worked for some reason. Yeah, Krakow was the first one I did you with You had Mac, that epic
2: tricast ones. in your first final. Yeah, me and the D-Man, D-man <laughs> in that infinite wisdom. I'd never
1: casted with either of them and never done a tri-cast before. And I actually requested not to even be at the event. I didn't think I was ready <laughs> to even commentate the major. I said to, to Joe, I was like, I don't think I should be there. I don't think I'm good enough. And I ended up doing the final with a tricast with two people i would never worked with before. So, yeah, that's, that <laughs> of explains You're the- crazy,
2: dude. We started casting at the same time when Joe asked me to do Cologne 2015. I was like, God damn right. I'm the shit. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah,
1: I, I, I have imposter syndrome like for everything I do. So for me, like, I was like, I don't think I can handle this. I don't think I can hang with those guys. Uh, I'm still learning. I'm still working it out. I'd only just started working with Matt like a couple of weeks before that. i had been in like, Romania. Yeah um mm-hmm. like two weeks before and i'd just quit my job like i'd just gone full time i was like i don't i don't think i want to fuck up the major for people i'd rather like grind and get better before i did that and they're like oh we really think you should do it. i think it'd be a great opportunity for you i ended up doing it and thankfully for me fifth Laram was there and i was one of the first events he was not, not a player he was actually talent there i think yep. and he really took me under his wing and like just told me like henry you can do this you've got this and he was every before every game would come up to me and Henry's like, me a hug.
2: Or, he's he's a fifth he's eternally positive
1: Oh yeah, and he just looked after me and made sure like I was cool and uh, yeah, and ended up doing the final. Um, wasn't my best work, wasn't anyone's best work, but we got through <laughs> it. And uh, the the rest is history, I suppose. Yeah, I guess he just remember... like, pushed off the ledge.
2: I was rooming with Fiffy at that event. So we were hanging out quite a bit. And I remember like walking the floor of like Cologne with him, like when the fans were all there before the day's Same. games had like started. And I was just like chatting with Fiffy and like a guy would come up and be like, Fiffy, Fiffy, Fifflair, can I take a picture? Can I take a picture? He'd be like, Yeah, And need to take a picture of this one guy. And then a second guy would come up and then a third guy, and then I'll be taking pictures, and then a line would form. And I'm just standing like right next to Fiffy. Conversation stopped like mid sentence. And he's got a line of like eighty people just lining up <laughs> to take a picture. I was, and I was just I was, was camera- funny invisible I, that, I didn't even know who i was, I was just a <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> i was i was just sat there like a dickhead with like my hands in my pockets like i, I guess i'll just go find something else to do while you're gonna yeah. be here for the next hour
0: that's how popular they were though right like people forget yeah. just that nip team without them in the early days of csgo they they meant an awful lot because people loved forest and get right from 1.6 and, and then you, you bled that in with a, a couple of these likable source characters and they were going undefeated and everything and it was yeah, they were such a big deal back. I look, I didn't like them because I was uh, friends with Fnatic, and to me, NIP just seemed like they were like the empire. So Fnatic kind of felt a little bit more uh, like the rebellion, you know, because they were they didn't get any of the praise like at that first I think, major. I think, it's,
2: I think it's backwards. I think you had that one the it other be-
0: way. No, it became backwards in the beginning, <laughs> right? When I was at that first major in the front row watching, it was me, the team, uh, Gomez, who was our just becoming our manager at the time, Top Gun's dad and my girlfriend. Yeah, I was the dickhead bringing the girlfriend to the event. I know, I, I fucking that, hate yeah. it. Um, but uh, we were the we were the only people cheering for Fnatic in a Swedish auditorium in that grand final and everybody else was going for NIP. And like, it was so serious around the NIP boys because they were filming documentaries around them at the time yeah. and shit. And they were so serious and it was the first major and it was theirs to win. Well, it was theirs to lose uh and and they always just seemed a bit more closed off for me than the fanatic guys which you're right eventually it did and i think now still the other way like the fanatic thing is 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 seen a bit more as the empire and nip maybe a little bit more as the rebellion but yeah at at the time back then it was it was just the nip guys felt unapproachable um which definitely changed they're all very lovely guys so yeah i i I think those blokes there in the beginning were, were were huge and like it's crazy how big people like Scream and stuff really were. I don't think I ever, because I was competing at the time, I don't think I really ever gave that the amount of respect I probably deserved. I don't know. I, I guess it's just that play style. People find that type of play style exhilarating for some Headshots reason.
2: Headshots are sexy and they create a, a lot of highlight clips, right? And, True. And that was, that was the big thing. Like in an era of where Twitch clips were like kicking off and like whatever the first like clip company was. I don't remember what, what, what name it was at this point. <laughs> what was it? Owned.
1: 3d or something like that i can't even remember that. no not, right. not even
2: that there was like the original like uh clip edition or like add-on yeah. to twitch that you could do well anyway it doesn't matter but i did like an yeah. era where everything was just clipped and like any double or triple kill headshot would come in and remember back then too the game was kind of like different remember when scream was like really popping off with his popularity um it was like the era of like the ADAD, like like you could just keep kind of you know, g- jiggling back and forth, like really, really oh, quickly yeah. and tapping. tapping. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was so like, that was yeah, yeah, mid to long range tapping was like probably a lot more effective than it is now. Um, and I mean, you know, good looking guy, got his hairstyle going True. on. You know, yeah, yeah, it's got all of it. All right, taking all the right boxes. All right,
0: well, do we have any other stories of over the years here that we, uh, any, anything else to do with Counter-Strike or our memories with it or CSGO in particular? Because we, we, we tend to go a bit down memory lane Henry, when we have some of this, we talk about some of the mm. events we've been to and stuff. The one that always like sticks out to me, I guess, is like Sydney, where we went with like the collective, which was, uh, we had Yanko there and and uh, Alex was there. We kind of had a had a big crew of us down in Australia. Yeah, I, I
1: guess for me, it's just like being able to work with my, my best friends and almost my, my brothers, you know, and travel around the world yeah. and do things like that yeah. was such a blessing. I think it's a bit of a shame those days are over. Although we're all kind of like still talking we have group chats and what's and stuff like that we're definitely missing that kind of uh camaraderie where we're just in it together all the time getting booked for in all the, the same trenches. events in the trenches getting it done and getting each- having each other's backs and making sure everyone's cool um those for me are some of the best memories i'll have for the yeah. rest of my life i think Just being able to do that with you guys and yeah like this experience is like staying in australia and it being like a lads holiday those i will cherish the for the rest of yeah, that beach house is a great time and i'm sure we'll have plenty more opportunities to create memories like that in the future um i think that era is almost over like there's so much in terms of like travel politics now and yeah. having to work at different locations and stuff like that and being booked for different events and these people won't yeah. hire these guys and this this company will only work with these people um it's just a bit of a shame we don't have the same sort of free flow sort of uh group we used to have back in the day but um yeah i guess like in terms of those sort of stories, I guess yeah. The, the, the for me, is just the generally traveling around with you guys. What three years maybe? When Chad first came over, when what year did you come in, Chad? Like 2016, did you say?
0: Yeah, end of 2016, I came and I did that pro league season, uh, and then right. from there, it. I just that's it, that's where it kicked for off. Me, 2017. I just wanted I was to make just, sure. Yeah.
1: I remember when you first turned up. I was like, I want to make sure Chad has like a, a good experience and he feels like he's indoctrinated with the boys and he's gonna be um, experienced. Yeah. <laughs> what a word to use there. <laughs> it's like you know what I mean. Like just be part part of the crew and feel like you, you belong with us and like like a Counter-Strike team almost, like we've got yeah. your back and we're going to make sure you get hired for stuff. We're going to make sure that anyone fucks with you or tries to lowball you um, with like, the fees and stuff like that or any pay, well, we'll make sure we, we have your back. And yeah. uh, for me, that was what it was all about was making sure like we were there together and uh, experiencing the same thing and making sure we put the best possible show on. And regardless, if it was compromised, it was a difficult like 12 hour day, sometimes 15 hour day, we're always in there together, trying to make sure that uh, everyone's cool and everyone's looking after each other. And uh, we still have that to some extent, but I guess it's it's not quite the same.
0: Yeah, we,
2: we I all made, co- I made sure we broke you up with your girlfriend too early on, so we could. Yep,
0: uh, you got yeah. you got Emily out of the picture very early <laughs> with the uh, great great worms situation. Oh, man, the yeah, great uh, worms. Uh, nah, look, very lovely girl, Emily. Sure, she's uh, she's doing great it. things. Yeah, no, yeah. No, it was me that was. This is the thing. It's always me. It's always me being the one fucked in the head with this kind of stuff. But really, like. the the amount of events that we would go to, I think that people truly don't... And same as for the players, right? People these days won't realize it. But when there's like a five-week pro league event and the players only go for a week, we're still there for the five weeks, right? Like, and or or for the majority of it. But And we would go from event to event to event. We'd be on the same flights with each other, on the same shuttles, in the same hotels. And this was back in the era before gaming laptops were really a thing that we either had or wanted to carry around because they weighed so fucking much. And we didn't get PCs from the event organizers, which is very nice that we get that these days. But it wasn't even a consideration back then. Because as you guys spoke about before, you had to share rooms at certain events. I came in and that was over. Thank fucking God. Um, yeah. but- Dude,
2: that, that got fixed right before you came in. That was like, I think, tw- early 2016, mid 2016 is when we got that changed. Like, we there on was the like road a all year, years, man.
0: Yeah. You, yeah. N- you need some space. You, how, you yeah, can't and, always and just, just like- be beaten off in the shower, you know?
2: And like <laughs> you, you,
0: <laughs> i've never done that in my i've never
1: <laughs> understood that you have to do that in the shower it doesn't work i don't understand
0: no that. i'm the same way it's
2: it, not efficient no it's and not it gets it's, gluggy it's, it's the different.
0: hot water with yeah. you know it's not good it's not um
2: good. i i mean and also like people traveling with like different jet lags you know like yeah. i come from like america and someone's coming from like fucking asia and we're rooming together and it's like we're on different schedules so like he's up at four in the morning watching fucking netflix and i'm just fucking dying trying to sleep with this blaring light in my eyes
1: I guess people don't realize how uh, the level of like psycho you had to be to even do the job we were doing. I, yeah. At the peak of my 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 career in casting, I was doing what like thirty events a year. I'd be away abroad three hundred days 300 a year days, as well, yeah. and it just like you, it kind of not ruined your life so much, but your social life outside of the game and like it just became everything. It devoured you, you know. Like there was nothing else going on in your life but just commentating events and because it was so cutthroat. Everyone wanted to be the next big caster. Everyone wanted to be at the big events, doing the finals and stuff. And although we had everyone's back, there was that kind of competitive nature to it as well. And I think all of us being professional players at one point, we were all very competitive in that sense as well. So we never wanted to miss out on an event. We always wanted to be doing absolutely everything. And uh, it was fucking exhausting, man. Although it's uh, a well-paid, fun job to do, like you definitely compromised your your mental health for the most yeah. part of it, your entire casting career and it's definitely got a lot better now like you i think we all take breaks and kind of limit jason you've got much better that you kind of limit yourself your time in europe and stuff like that Yeah, doing my best getting there yeah Yeah, but like you know it's funny
2: yeah it's funny it's funny because like coming out of covid people would always be like you know obviously when you get back to events we're like oh how is like your covid experience like how like you know oh it's good we have these shit years behind us and i was always like like it was always kind of like a weird feeling for me because you guys kind of Chad you you and I think even you a little bit Henry got like stuck a little bit in like the covid hotel situation in yeah, like and the hotel
1: was uh, the the,
0: the yeah the Lantern the more version of the Lantern
2: yeah so for me it was like I went and did that flashpoint season uh when covid kicked off and then I went home and I got to cast everything from home so for me it was a very like odd sensation where there was a lot of people like having a rough time through covid and I was like man, COVID was kind of like a blessing, like a little bit of like a, a silver lining that like forced me to pause and forced me to like stay home and not travel. And you just realize like you haven't even built up half of your life. Like you, you don't have a home life because you haven't been home in six years. Um, so for me, it was kind of like, I, I don't think we fully realized and appreciated how burnt out we were like, maybe not physically exhausted, but mentally just dead and drained and emotionally just tired. And that break for me over COVID was like such a refreshing feeling. And I, I, I hope you guys got there towards the towards the end of COVID with some some time off and everything when you eventually got to go home and take a break.
0: It, it was interesting though, right? Because that first thing where we were, it was me, Henry and Alex doing one of the one of the shifts. And then it was Trace, Harry and Hugo doing the other. And that just felt like it was going to be endless because one event would end and nobody knew what was happening. And then it was like, all right, guys, the next event starts on Monday, which was cool that like ESO were looking after us. They had people come and bring us groceries literally every single day, anything we needed. We had cars, we drove to work. They met, found us a place when Airbnb and hotels were literally closed. Like, I want people to understand. Literally fucking closed. We were in a hotel. They kicked yeah. us out from the first, sent us to the sister Three hotel. Three or four
1: hotels you went through, right? We
0: went to the sister hotel. They kicked us out again. Alex found out because they accidentally brought breakfast to his room instead of the correct room. They told him that morning we had to leave. We had to go to work that day as well. And we asked in the lobby like, okay, so what happens? Is the hotel closed? They're like, no, it's open for pilots and like flight attendants. I was like, what the actual fuck? So everybody else got displaced if you, and we couldn't go home because flights all stopped. So it yeah. wasn't like you could leave and ESO like looked after us very well they set up PCs it was it was it was good in in the beginning but once you're like 2 months deep in that of working what was right. almost every single day right it was it was almost every single day yeah. at Six that days, point days. it was like what's cuz we were we would we were clowns we were the ones you know we were buying props we were dressing up we were doing silly things and eventually you just run out of juice like you you just run out of juice with that because it wasn't this is something which which we got a lot of messages of i don't know I've never really sat and spoken to you about this Henry but I know that I got a lot of messages like this when we were doing the the tricast stuff. A lot of people saying, "Hey, like y- you guys really helped me during COVID." You know, I was yeah. locked inside and I could put you on every day and you were there and like those type type of messages. I never expected at any point in my life to get that type of a message that I was helping somebody get through a hard time, but it was also us getting through an interesting time, right? And the fact mm-hmm. that we were mates yeah. and the fact that we were able to get along with each other and go to work and do this stuff, like it was it was it was fun. Like it, it was fun, even in all the madness. And then in terms of the mental health side you're talking about here, you both, I think for me, after that finished, I had a couple months off in the middle of that year towards the tail end of it. Things like as well, I had a bit more time and you are in one, that's what's happened to in modern day. You're in one place for longer. Now it feels like it's not event in New York, next week, fly to Kiev, next week, fly to this, next week, fly to that. Yep. It's I go to an event and I'm there for two to three weeks or I'm there for five weeks or whatever. And I think that just little detail in itself, because you can establish a bit more of a routine. Okay, where's the gym? Okay, where are the good food places? Is Where's there...
2: my coffee shop? Yeah. Exactly.
0: And those little things actually mean a lot. But that reflection, I'm the type of guy who talks about like the sacrifice players need to make and all this type of stuff. I definitely agree that if you want to be in an elite level discipline, whether it's being one of the best, you know, counter-strike players in the world or whether it's being one of the best commentators in the world, it is still there still has to be some point where you go, okay, like not enough's enough, but I need to do these little things or I need to take this little time to look after me. And we never stopped and did that because we were living the dream. And I think that's one of the things that up until the point, you know, you think, and, and Henry, for you and I, one that we experienced firsthand was the idea that one day you could wake up and it could all be gone just like the CGS, right? Yeah. So that was the thing that kept propelling you. It's like the events are fun. We're with the mates. It's a traveling circus. We're having a good time. And that's what it was. You would just book from event to event. You wouldn't need to go home. You didn't need a home because you always had an event to go to. And yeah, it, an amazing time. May, probably will go down to some of the not the not the COVID time, but the stuff before that. Some of the most fond memories seven, of my life. Years. Yeah, for sure. Because it was it was getting a chance to be an adult, working a, a fun job, but also getting a chance to kind of travel. Like it was like Kentiki tour that you're getting paid for. Do you guys have I a guess people to don't to... realize as well
2: like
1: we never had I guess to, to follow on the point why we worked so much we never had any like solidified work contracts or anything like that. It was basically just, we'd get an email saying, oh, are you interested in doing this? Let us know, and uh, we'll get back to you. So the reason you took on every single piece of work that came your way is you didn't know where the next paycheck was coming yeah. from. Although we were established commentators, no one owed us anything. Like no one had to hire us, you know? It's they usually like, like out two weeks company before that. Event. Be a, yeah, and that's why you just have to make sure you took on everything to make sure you were bringing in money constantly and having a good maintained relationship with these TOs. And although we had that and maybe burned ourselves out a bit too much, it was just a fear of, oh, what if they find someone else? What if uh, a younger duo turns up and they start doing a better job and they fill my shoes for one event and all of a sudden they're doing it for cheaper and then doing the same level of work. So you just had to keep going. And I just think it takes a very particular type of person to be able to sacrifice that much and put everything on the line each week because remember we're doing live fucking TV as well. One word out of line or you say something a bit silly or a joke that doesn't land, you could fuck up your whole career. So yeah. we really were towing the line every single show by being burnt out, being jaded, pissed off behind for things behind the scenes and stuff like that. Like anything could have happened to us. But thankfully um I think most we, of we us we kept, it in. Most, yeah, most we managed, kept it in most managed to keep it in line somewhat. And uh yeah, you know, I wouldn't change anything but uh, definitely um wish we'd have been treated differently
0: in some respects yeah yeah i i think these days we're in a a, we're i think now there's a different way that you know we talk to the tos and there's and i think we're a, a lot more invested as well right because this game right i don't i don't necessarily want to be a commentator or an analyst or a pundit for the rest of my life right but i would love if I had the opportunity to continue to work in the field of Counter-Strike, like not esports in the field of Counter-Strike for the rest of my life, because this yeah. has been a, for more than 50% of my life, I have been playing Counter-Strike or watching Counter-Strike or involved in Counter-Strike. And I, I wouldn't know what my identity is without it. And for a lot of people to hear that, that's probably like, Oh, that's maybe a little bit sad, but I look at it on the other side of things like that that is, it's like a part of me now, right? Like it's something that I've been so engrossed in and that I love so much. And that so I owe so much of what I get to live today too that I wouldn't want it any other, any other way. And and I just want to put on the best Counter-Strike so that everybody well, else can I enjoy I guess in a way, Chad, we, y-
1: you helped enjoy. build what it is today, right? You've been there since the ground floor and- Uh, However significant our input was from being players to talent and whatever else we've done in between that, like Jason and I've done other roles as well, we've been building the game and be part of the tapestry, uh, part of the furniture almost at this point, so I guess it's a very personal and complicated love affair we have with counter-strike like it's always going to be part of our lives it's always going to be an important part of our history but yeah i, I agree with you like you always wanted to be doing well and uh you wouldn't really want to go to another game because it feels like it's part of your identity like you said it's a very good
2: point. we're we're describing like that transition that you that, that people always talk about when like your hobby becomes your job yeah. and i think to a certain extent like we've now transitioned into the period where it is it is a full-blown career path and a lot of that is thanks to the growth of the game obviously and and the time that we've put into it, I, I almost feel these days almost like a, as, a, as a as a member of the talent team because we've had so many new young casters and analysts and new fresh faces and fresh voices come in. I almost feel like we've gotten to the the, the kind of stage where um, not we don't have to go out. Uh, if we don't want to but you are kind of like we're we're kind of like the elder statesman where we have like a bigger wider perspective and we have the network with inside the tos from the business side of things to the actual production people um to where you know to a certain extent when we were all doing this back in 2017 and 18 it was like kind of like being at a party and you're just putting on the good entertainment product and now it's kind of our job to um, it feels like be more involved with actually developing the product from like an earlier stage, not just showing up and doing the job, but like guiding, guiding the show and guiding the product in, in the process um, to being better than what it can be. I just I think I think we all probably feel like some level of responsibility, um, certainly that we need to make sure that there's going to be a, like next generation of people who can have the same opportunities that we had and that Counter-Strike is always going to be in a healthy enough place to give the same benefits in life to to people that come after us, you know? Yeah.
1: And so, I think it's that I think we, we laid the foundations and it continues to get bigger and bigger. Like Counter-Strike is going to be always one of those games. It might have its quieter moments or months or years where it's not the the mainstay or the biggest game in the world, but everyone always comes back to CSGO, whether it's as a game to play or a game on eSports to watch. A Counter-Strike is immortal, I think, and it always will be. And uh, although like there's other Rivals like Valorant and stuff like right now, I, I feel like there's everything has its place, and Counter Strike is only getting stronger um, with all this kind of um, competitive nature of it. It's just like it, it's something that's never going to go away, and I, I'm glad to be so involved in it and being part of it for what like 15 years now. It's kind of nuts.
0: Yeah, and I think that right there, boys, is probably the perfect kind of sentiment for us to to end this on. 10 years of CS:GO, the three of us collectively. Yeah, happy birthday. Three of us collectively have been involved in this game for a very long time and maybe some of the most formative years of our lives. Mm -hmm. And uh, Valve tweeting, we're just getting started. So that's pretty exciting, hopefully. uh, (laughs)
1: Buckle up, boys.
0: Yeah, let's see where this wild ride takes us. All right, that's it. Peace out.